0: So the scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 17. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go. Hey, good morning. morning. It's good to see all of you here today. Uh, We're continuing in our sermon series entitled Live Like Jesus. And uh, you might recall, we've uh, talked about what it means to live like Jesus. Uh, We began uh, by saying that living like Jesus means living a life of prayer. Uh, Living like Jesus means living a life of compassion. Living like Jesus means living a life of humility. Living like Jesus means living a life with purpose. And today, what we're going to be talking about is that living like Jesus means living a life uh, of gratitude. But all of these things that we're talking about have to do with the work of God in each of our lives. As we come to faith in Christ and as we follow him... The Spirit of God works in the lives of all believers to conform them more and more and more to the image of Christ. And really, that's what we're talking about. It's um, be conformed, right? Be transformed. Be a follower of Christ, that in your life, people might see Christ in you and also See Christ through you. As Paul would say, imitate God. Uh, But it's more than imitation. Uh, Because although in our acts, we're imitating his acts. Life in Christ means more than imitation. It means a new life. That the things we do, right, are a result of being a new creation in him. And so that's really good. Now. You'll see up here an expression. It says, faith transforms identity. Can we say that together? Faith transforms identity. And really, that's what I'm talking about. When we come to faith in Christ, right, our identity is transformed because now we're living life in Christ Jesus, Um, that's such an important thing to remember, that we are in Christ. And life in Christ is a life of all the things that we've discussed these last few weeks. Uh, It's a life with new priorities for living. And they're good things. Uh, They're things that we discover that there's great joy in because we're fulfilling The purpose to which God has called us to himself. Um, Author Robert Wilkins writes these words. He says that because human beings were made in the image of God, our lives will be human only as our face is turned towards God and our actions formed by his love. That's living like Jesus. God, and our actions formed by His love, we know ourselves as we transcend ourselves. As we find ourselves, we find ourselves as we find fellowship with God. And so that it's in that fellowship with God that having been created in the image of God, right? That we get outside of ourselves. And, and, we, and we see a life and a calling that's much grander than, than just our inward focus. And living, living inwardly and focused on ourselves. Now, in our passage today, um, the story of Jesus and the ten men of leprosy. Um, we could really reframe that and apply it to today. Uh, It could be Jesus and the ten church members. Okay? Um, And and really, uh, if we read scripture and scripture doesn't move us, it it doesn't make us feel something, it doesn't challenge us, then we're not reading it correctly. And and so we want to read the scripture, we want to understand its meaning and its application at the time. In this case, that Luke wrote it to the audience he was writing to. But it's not enough to, to examine it as a historical document. It has to have meaning. We have to kind of take that and, okay, now what does this mean for us? And so hopefully we're going to do that today, okay? Um, because all of us, all of us uh, come to Jesus uh, with something that's uh, worse than leprosy. It's called sin, right? And and Jesus cleanses us from our sin. But the question is, what are you going to do in response? How are we going to live as a result of that? What difference is that going to make in your own life, in your relationship with others, in your relationship with God himself? We can't cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, have pity on me. And have him respond by touching our lives and healing us from the ravages of sin. Giving us forgiveness and new life. And then we we turn and we we run off into our new life. And there's Jesus. And only one of the ten church members. Comes back and says, Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. And that has great implications for what it says about who we are and where we are in our faith journey, as we'll see in our passage today. So let's look through it here one more time. Luke 17. Beginning in verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance. Why? Because ceremonial law, right? meant that people like someone with leprosy... They were ceremonially unclean. And uh, they had to keep their distance from everyone else. These were people on the, the margins. These were people who were looking from the outside in. These were people who were looked upon, but looked upon, right? As outcasts, as those that you'd see at a distance and say, thank God I'm not like them, and you just move on your spiritual life, okay? Those are these folks. Now, leprosy, in the original in the Greek language, the the leprosy here can apply to not only the disease we know as leprosy, but it can apply to a variety of different types of skin diseases, okay? So there's a variety of skin diseases that in these days that were looked upon as, they used the word leprosy, but it depended on what, what kind you had, what kind of disease you actually had. But these ten had leprosy, okay? <clears throat> a skin disease. And they were looking from a distance. And as Jesus was going through the village, ten men who had leprosy met him. In other words, they got his attention, And they stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Okay? It was a a cry for Jesus to heal them. They knew enough about Jesus, and his reputation by this time uh, was such that The crowds were still coming for healing, but the persecution of the religious leaders was intensifying. Because he's moving now towards the cross. But in the midst of all that, he stops. And it says in verse 14, when he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, why would he say that? Because the priest, in this time, one of the functions was that of like a health inspector. And and if a person had a disease, or if if they had something that had um, excluded them for participation in religious life, if they were ceremonially unclean for some reason, then it was the priest who would examine them and declare them that they were clean that they were healed that they were now it was now okay for them to participate in the religious life again to be around other people again okay and so he says well we'll go and show yourself to the priest now there's a there's an issue here if i were one of the 10 i would say oh, okay but Have pity on me, and then I'll go show myself to one of the priests. What happens here? It's when they respond. It is when they turn. It's when they start to go to the priest that they then see that they've been healed. And so there's an act of faith here. Jesus is... Directing them to do something, but the question is, are they going to respond to Jesus' instructions? This doesn't make sense, Jesus. In my mind, you heal me first, then I go to the priest, and the priest declares me healed. Right? According to the law. The custom. I mean, that's what I would expect. How about you? But instead, Jesus says, Listen, you called me from a distance, I can heal you from a distance. Go to the priest. And so the scripture says that they went, they responded in faith to what Jesus had told them to do, and they were cleansed. Man, hallelujah, that's good stuff, huh? You excited about that? Do you know Jesus is still Healing people of all kinds of things today? Do you know that? He does. All kinds of things. I know. (laughs) Amen, sister. And you know what? We need more testimony in the church about that, don't we? Amen to that. Verse 15, one of them. when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. Now here's the scandal, okay? It's not enough that this one had had leprosy. But he was also a Samaritan. I mean, it's bad enough to have leprosy. But to be a Samaritan too? He had both things. And that's, really that tells you how bad leprosy is. That nine of the ten were Jews. One was a Samaritan. But leprosy so bad that they put those racial and religious divides aside. And they were living together. That's how bad leprosy was, okay. <laughs> and and so the the hero of the story, or the or the person that Jesus is going to point out as an example to us today, is a person who no one wanted to be, and his was excluded, was an outcast, was marginalized, so much so that. That they had, and he had to cry to Jesus from a distance. But Jesus hears our cries. He hears our cries. Jesus hears your cry. Jesus hears your cry. Jesus hears your cry. Jesus hears our cries. (laughs) Hmm. As we began praising God in a loud voice and He threw Himself at Jesus' feet and He, and He thanked Him and He was a Samaritan. Jesus asked. Jesus says a lot by, by asking questions. You know that? You ever notice that in scripture? He asks a lot of questions because He wants people to think. He wants people to engage. Uh, You can be sometimes more effective in leading people in faith or helping them grow in their their spirituality more by asking questions and sometimes making declarative statements. Do you know that? Jesus did both. He asked, we're not all, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Okay, he's a Samaritan. All right. Then he said to them to him, excuse me. Rise and go your your faith has made you well. Okay? Well, wait a minute. The other nine, they turned, as Jesus had told them to, to go to the priest, and as they responded in faith to what Jesus was telling them to do, they were healed, weren't they? So so what is this talking about? What, What kind of healing is this talking about? This could be translated in in another way. It could say, rise and go. Okay? Your faith has saved you. And the healing here that he's talking about is the recognition of this man turning, not only receiving from Jesus what they were in desperate need of, but recognizing who Jesus was and the source that the healing came from. It's like my Lord and my God and falling at the feet of Jesus, recognizing who he is. You know, the scripture says, we're saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. Right? It's a gift from God. So no one can boast. And what's happening here with the Samaritan, with, with the one man, is that he gets that. He really understands that. He, he recognizes the, the gift that he's received and the grace that has flown through Jesus and who Jesus is and who he represents. And he falls at his feet in worship. Right? Anyone, right, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so, God is concerned about our our physical healing and Jesus heals. And He healed all ten. But there's the one here who responded and threw himself at the feet of Jesus. Because he understood saving grace. And the source of where all this was coming from. You know, getting back to that quote. uh, By Uh, Robert Wilkins in the beginning. It's the ability to get outside of ourselves. Here's what I think happened to the other nine. Okay? The other nine were... They had an immediate need. And to them that was their most important need. And, And when you're in pain and when you're sick and when you are in the outskirts and when you are overlooked... When you are denied opportunity that others have because of something that ostensibly is not your fault, right? I mean, you didn't... Yeah, I signed up for leprosy, right? So I wanted to grow up to be a leper. But when when you experience that... And it doesn't have to be leprosy. It can be other things in our lives that are so painful and that we're in our broken. And, and we just feel like we're on the outskirts of normality, whatever normal is to you, right? That we can become so self-absorbed and self so so self-focused that we can say, Lord, fix this, fix this, help me with this, 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 help me, 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 right? And then I'm the focus. I get it. I've been there fairly recently. Okay, um, that we forget to look at the one that we're asking to help us. Because we're so consumed by whatever it is that we just want relief from. And I think these nine guys, guys—they, I mean, they turned and they did exactly what Jesus said and they were so focused on what happened that they didn't stop to think about how it happened. How quickly they forgot... And how quickly God can do things in our lives and touch our lives and, 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 and answer prayer. And we get so excited and we get so engrossed in our lives that we forget to do what? Thank you. All right? And to throw ourselves at his feet. I want to introduce you to something here quickly in our time remaining. I call them the invasion of the gratitude snatchers. Okay. Now, if you look at these hands, it's like the idea is they want to snatch gratitude away from us. And some of them are, are, are pretty obvious. Others are very subtle. Okay? Uh, one there says, I can do it myself. The other says, it's all about me. Uh, the other says, I deserve it. Okay? But really those are expressions that express attitudes that if we're not careful, because they can be very subtle, can, can, can really leave us like the other nine. Rather than the one who expressed the gratitude to Jesus. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Let's look at the first one. I can do it myself. Okay? The attitude there is the attitude of self-sufficiency. Do you know self-sufficiency smothers gratitude? when it comes to our relationship and recognizing the things that God does in our lives. And the irony of it is, is oftentimes the reason we're self-sufficient is because God has equipped us or gifted us or allowed us to be in places or have experiences or circumstances that allow us to be self-sufficient. So even the self-sufficiency, although not in the way God intends, results in us being able to be sufficient. there's a lot of reasons for it but when we have a a blown up self-sufficient attitude then everything that happens in the result uh, in my life is a result of what my own hard work my own effort my own accomplishment my own talents my own gifts And where's the focus? Is it inward or outward? It's inward. And what happens is we're robbed. We rob ourselves. Of being thankful and living a thankful life and a life full of gratitude. For some people, self-sufficiency leads to just an inability to ask for help for anything from anyone. Because somehow that shows weakness. But I want to introduce you to a person named the Apostle Paul. On paper, his resume was impeccable. If anyone could claim to be self-sufficient, it was he. He. But look what he says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 through 10. He's having this, this tug of war with, with Jesus. He, he has something, it's a thorn in the flesh, and he wants to get rid of it. We don't quite know what that is. But we do know this, it's severe enough that that three times he entreats the Lord. The word entreat there means, I mean, it comes from your gut, from your bowels. I mean, it is the most desperate kind of pleading. It's like, Lord, have pity on me, right? But Jesus said to him this, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will gladly boast all the more about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Now get this. For when I am weak, then I am self-sufficient. No, what is it? Then I am strong. Okay? Then I am strong. And I'll tell you what, it's in the times in my life when I've been the weakest, when I've been the most desperate, when I've been the most hurting, that I've experienced God in ways that my self-sufficiency would not allow me to. Okay? And the power of Christ. The desire in my life is to be christ Christ-sufficient. Not self-sufficient. Okay. Right, here, here's the second one. Let's go back to that slide. The gratitude snatchers. How about it's um, all about me? It's all about me. Don't you know it's all about me? And when I have an all about me attitude, I see God like. Burger King, a Burger King God, right? Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders, don't upset us. All we ask is that you let us have it your way. And we expect God to respond to us that way, right? He exists for us. And there's a subtle attitude that that kind of prevails in our life. and, And pretty soon we begin to think, listen, God is created in my image. And the purpose of his existence is to serve me. Don't you know? Because it's all about me. It can be really subtle. But if we come to church with that attitude, however subtle or or not, then you know what this becomes? Rather than Christ church, it becomes me church. And one of the sure signs that it's me, church, is a church of a people who are lacking in gratitude. Because it's all about them. Of course. Bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. That's why you exist, God, don't you know? And we consume God like we consume something. Does that make sense? I want to be... A person who's able to live outside of myself. Who's able to, to look at the source rather than just focus on the, the person, me, that's the recipient. And that's what the Lord wants us to do. Check this out. Philippians 2, 3-4. through 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather than humility, value others above yourself. Now, looking to your own interest but each of you to the interests of others. You know what? If I'm looking at your interest and you're looking at my interest, guess whose interest is being looked at? Both of ours. And guess what the Lord is able to do? Work through both of us for the sake of the other. And in a way that's so unnatural and goes against kind of that fleshly nature by looking and focusing in a healthy way, serving others, the very thing that we want in ourselves to be served, it gets taken care of. Because we're in a community of people who are looking at each other rather than just inwardly. Does that make sense? It's like Lori. When Lori and I scuba dive, I look for the big things. I want to see the, the hammerhead shark, the tiger. Ty- well, yeah, I do, really. Um, or, or, you know, the, the, the dolphin or the different kind of fish or the eels or the things that are easily seen. That That's what I'm into. The big things. You know what Lori looks for? Sea slugs. They're little things. They're called nudibranchs. And they're beautiful. They're fuchsia and yellow and purple. And, and, and they have all these different colors. They're really small. And they they live on the coral. And they begin to take on the, the color of the different corals. And they're really, really small. And, and while everybody that's diving with us is looking for the big things, including myself, you know what Lori's doing? She's focusing on a little thing. In fact, sometimes I turn around and I'm over here and she's way back there where your dive partner is supposed to stay next to you, right? But Lori's so consumed with the little things. And you know what? Sometimes I recognize in my spiritual life, I just look for the big things. Because the big things often are the things that, that, I mean, they just, they benefit me the most. And those are the things I'm most grateful for. But I want to learn to stop Get outside of myself. And I want to see the little things. I don't want to miss them. I, I don't want to miss all the things that I can be thankful and grateful for. It's like Ann Voskamp in her book. Uh, what is it? It's called A Thousand Gifts. In, in the worst time of her life when she was going through the worst thing. Worst kinds of things. She decided, I'm going to journal and look for things outside of what's going on in here that I could be thankful for, to give thanks for. And she journaled it and she came up with over a thousand and she wrote a book called A Thousand Gifts because she learned to live life outside of herself and not just look for the big things but to appreciate all the little things that, that she saw where God shows up and to give him thanks. Well, let's look at the last one quickly. The last of the gratitude snatchers. There's more, but I, these are three big ones that I'm aware of. Uh, is I deserve it. Now, whatever it is. It could be I deserve better, I deserve more. Right? I don't deserve it, whatever it is. So while one is self-sufficiency, the self, the second one is self-centeredness, this is self-entitlement. And often that comes from comparing our own lives, our own circumstances, what's happening to us, to the lives of others. And saying, how come not me, right? But have you ever thought of asking this question, how come I can't, why others? How come I can? Why others can't? That kind of flips it, right? And it takes the focus off of ourselves. And what I begin to realize is when I have the attitude of I deserve something better than what I have, you know, if if like. He, you know, there was a time when I was feeling sorry for myself. And, and I mean, you know, I, we, we shared about this. Seven surgeries in, in less than 20 months. I mean, I was just a ball of chronic pain and being uncomfortable and not sleeping. And I shared that with you several weeks ago. Right? And I, 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 it's like there were times I felt like, man, what did I do to deserve this? I didn't do anything at all. I don't think. I look back now and, and, and right now I'm relatively, I mean, as pain free as I can be pain free with some chronic ailments I have, but it, it's great. I mean, I forgot what it was like. And I'm so appreciative. And you know what? I can be grateful for my experience. Because I'll tell you what, I'm so much, I have so much more gratitude now than I had before for things I used to take for granted. I love the attitude of the centurion in Luke chapter 7. You know the story. He had a servant that was sick and about to die. He sent some friends to Jesus. And in verse 4 it says, When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man, look at this, deserves. This man deserves. And sometimes we think, we deserve, we deserve, we deserve. Based on what? To have you do this, Jesus, because He loves our nation and He's built our synagogue. So you know what? That's like works righteousness. I deserve it because, you know, know I deserve it, God, because look at all I do for you. I'm a pastor, don't you know? Or I'm this, don't you know? Or I did that, don't you know? I deserve this, not that. And that's not based on the grace of God, it's just based on my works. And what I think I deserve for what I do for God, right? And that's the attitude here of the first group of friends. And so it says in verse 6 so Jesus went with them. But look at what happens afterwards. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I am, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That's a different attitude than the first group of friends, right? Or I don't deserve it. Look what he says, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But I know who you are and I know what you're capable of doing. This is a centurion, a Roman, right? An influential man. A man who could have been self-sufficient. A man who could have been self-centered. A man who could have said, I deserve this. He could have had an attitude of entitlement towards God. But he said, I don't deserve it at all. Because I know who you are. But in humility, speak the word only, just like the lepers. Jesus had to speak the word. In in Luke's version, he's not even there. All right? And my servant will be healed. God's grace is amazing, and I don't deserve it. Neither do you. It's by grace that we're saved through faith, not of a work of ourselves. Jesus going to the cross, the ultimate expression of God's love for you and me. And you say, but I don't understand. I, Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. Life's hard right now, and it's hard for me to have a thankful attitude. It's hard for me to have an attitude of gratitude in the midst of all that's going on. I say Jesus knows. You see, it was the night in which he was betrayed. That night, he ate the final meal with his disciples. That he took bread, and this bread was become representative of of what was going to happen to him. And he and he took it. And you know what he did? Is he took this bread. He gave thanks. He gave thanks, knowing what this was going to represent and what was coming. In the midst of the, of a time that, 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 I can't even imagine. And, and in a short while later, he goes out in the, in the garden of Gethsemane and he, he sweats as he prays, drops of blood. He takes the bread that represents what he's going to do for us. And in gratitude, he gives thanks. Jesus knows. Jesus knows. Jesus knows. Give thanks. Give thanks. He's there. He's here with you. Give thanks. He knows. And He breaks it. And He says, This is my body to be broken for you for you for you for you for us as often as you eat this eat this in remembrance of me <laughs> then he takes the cup the cup of the New Covenant In his blood. Jesus, the thankful one. And he pours it out even as his own blood and life would be poured out. On the cross for you and for me. He says this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Which is shed for you. As often as you drink this, drink this in remembrance of me. So that whenever we eat the bread and drink from the cup, we declare Christ's death, his sacrifice on our behalf, until he comes again. I'm going to tell you something. In two weeks, we're going to have a celebration here. Because death didn't have the final word. He's risen. He's risen indeed. And he is coming again. And so this morning as we come to the table. Let's come with that attitude of gratitude. Let's come outside of ourselves. Looking and turning back and throwing ourselves at the feet of the one who heals us and cleanses us from sin. That's my Jesus. That's your Jesus. That's our Jesus. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you, Father, for all that you have done, for who you are, and we come today, and, and Lord, if we're to tell the, the story of the ten, or the hundred, or the three hundred, or the four hundred church members at Community Covenant, may that story say that they all turned, and they ran to Jesus, and they threw themselves at his feet in thanksgiving and gratitude. Father, maybe we haven't been doing that, but we can start today. And so we come to you, Father, as hard as things may be or as light as things may be in our life right now, Lord, whatever our circumstance is, Father, would you help us open our eyes to see you, the giver of life and every good gift. And most of all, to recognize the gift of your life on our behalf. We, as your followers, of all people, have the most to be grateful for. May we come and remember and worship and express our love to you today. May this table be a table of thanksgiving. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come as you're ready. Can we just say together, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for forgiveness of sin. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for a new life. Let's drink.